The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of BMC or the town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Hello again and a welcome to another edition of the TOST Podcast here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network, found online at belmontmedia.org slash podcasts and also at soundcloud.com by searching Belmont Media. You can listen to the Toddcast at your convenience by downloading the free SoundCloud app available at both iTunes and Google Play stores. I'm Todd Bloniars from the award-winning Time Out for Sports Talk TV show available on BMC channels 28 and 29 and also on demand at belmontmedia.org. Org. Well, when I first started doing these Toddcasts, I mentioned uh, I was looking forward to using this particular forum to introduce up-and-coming talent to talk about Boston sports, and uh, so far I've done a pretty good job uh, towards that goal. Our latest guest here on the Toddcast may also uh, well be our youngest. His name is uh, David Spampanato. I hope I pronounced that right. Yeah, did yeah, I? I, you did. I, I, I that's the one thing I didn't ask you before we went on the air. Uh, actually, uh, David attends uh, Fordham University, uh, going into his senior year, and he is a co-host of WFUV's One on One, which is billed as New York's longest-running call-in sports radio show. And I know he's got some other duties at the uh, at the college station as well. So, uh, David, uh, great having you uh, here on the Toddcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's awesome to uh, you know tap into a little bit of a new market that's near and dear to my heart. Yes, well, well, we'll get to that in a minute, just to let our uh, our listeners know out there uh, kind of how I kind of found David. Uh, I had accidentally uh, discovered uh, the, uh, the one-on-one show while I was uh, driving through New York and New Jersey uh, as part of my uh, recent uh, baseball road trip down to D.C., and uh, they kept, uh, you know, as I was listening to the show, uh, David, they kept mentioning you as the Boston guy, and... Uh, and then uh, I found a, a bio of you on uh, the Bosox Injection website where you've done some writing in the past. And it says uh, you're a, a big uh, Red Sox uh, fan, but also from Long Island, a native of Long Island, but you're a Red Sox fan. So uh, please uh, tell, uh, tell our listeners the story of how that came to pass. Yeah. Um, so, you know, growing up in, on Long Island in New York, my family was pretty much all Yankee fans. And, you know, as a kid, he just kind of, like players, you know, you like Derek Jeter, you like Alex Rodriguez or David Ortiz or Dave hmm. Ramirez or whoever it might be. And I was seven years old in 2004 at a Yankees game with my family, and we had gotten the opportunity to get pretty close to the field. Um, you know, met some of the coaches, met some of the players, but you know, all I really cared about getting to meet was Derek Jeter. So Derek Jeter's coming around the backstop, approaches me and my family, and I stick out my hand with the ball, ask him to sign the ball, and I swear to this day that he looked me in the eye and ran off, and I was just broken from that. Wanted nothing to do with Jeter, nothing to do with the Yankees, and started latching on to the Red Sox a little bit. Started watching some of their games, um, you know, because they were on TV a lot whenever they would play the Yankees or in a nationally uh, televised game, and... I started enjoying the way they played, you know, with, with Ortiz, and Veritek was actually my favorite player on that team in 04, and then they won the World Series that year. So, um, you know, once I latched on, I was, I was pretty much hooked in 2004. So 2004 was really the first season you really kind of started uh, getting interested in watching baseball. I had definitely watched baseball before that, but I never had, like, this intense fandom 
of a team before that. Wow. You're, you're, well, your timing couldn't have been any better. <laughs> Certainly, uh, you know, starting to follow the Sox during the 4 season. Uh, boy, if Veritek's one of your favorite players, you must have just loved that uh, that game where he uh, takes the glove and uh, smush. Actually, I think uh, earlier this week was the 10-year anniversary, or not the 10, or the 14-year anniversary of that game uh, where the Red Sox came from behind at Fenway. It was late July. Uh, the game, which has kind of got this iconic photograph attached with it, where Veritek shoves the glove in A-Rod's face. Uh, because, uh, you know, A-Rod got hit with a pitch and the, the sides were about to brawl and Veritek said, no, 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 you're not going to, you know, do that. So, I mean, that's, I, I'm assuming you might have a, one of those uh, photos uh, yourself. Uh. Oh, yeah. Well, Veritek <laughs> actually said to A-Rod, A-Rod kept, you know, saying F you, F you. And Veritek said, we don't hit 260 hitters. I found that out the other day, actually. I thought oh, that was really? Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I remembered the exact quote. Jeez, that is, uh, well, there you go. You can I mean, read A-Rod's a- lips yeah. and... You know, yeah, no, oh, that say, part, sure. Shouldn't use some of that language right here. Mm, yeah, no, that's right. That's oh no, that's exactly. I mean, uh, you know, of course, everyone remembers the the tw- two thousand four. Uh, you know, ALCS and, and all the memorable plays. You know, of course, you bring up A-Rod, you, you know, everyone kind of goes immediately to game six and that play at first base and, you know, knocking the ball out of Bronson Arroyo's glove. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, well, yeah, I have a lot of fond memories of that season too, David, no question about it. So, yeah, so you became, you know, you became a Red Sox fan, even though you're a lifelong New Yorker and you do a, you go to a New York college uh, university and you're there doing a show with all other New York guys who are all Yankees fans. So, uh, boy, you must just be the uh, you know the eternal whipping boy down there because uh, I mean you have to you stand out in a crowd at least, right? Oh yeah, I mean I always have you know growing up in all Long Island, you know being around Yankees and Mets fans, and it's it's pretty much what I'm used to at this point, you know. So it's nothing new. Yeah, boy, you know, I'm just I'm thinking about that now. Your whole childhood, you're growing up, you're, you're wearing the Red Sox hat around all the time, and everyone else is dressed in pinstripes and their Yankees gear. And yeah, boy, that's uh, yeah, that's got to be uh, <laughs> that's got to be tough. But uh, so uh, yeah, so you, you uh, you're going into your senior year at uh, Fordham, and uh, well, tell me a little bit more about the show, I guess, or people who uh, haven't maybe heard the uh, the one-on-one show. Again, it, it has been billed as uh, New York's longest-running call-in sports radio show. So talk about the history of that. Yeah, so one-on-one is, is on WFUV Sports, on WFUV Public Radio, on 90.7 FM uh, in the New York area, as well as on WFUVsports.org. Um, it's been going for a while. It dates all the way back to when Michael Kay, the Yankees broadcaster, was there, uh, Mike Breen, the national NBA broadcaster, as well as the Knicks broadcaster, um, Charlie Slows, the Nationals uh, radio broadcaster, but who it really dates back to is Vin Scully, who went to Fordham. He went to Fordham Prep as well, actually, and uh, is really the, that's really where the foundation of WFUV Sports started. Um, and then one-on-one has really blossomed into our opportunity to, you know, do what these big radio stations do and these talk shows, you know, on, on EEI or, or 98.5 or, you know, WFAN here in New York. So it really gives us an opportunity to, to, to do the same things they do on the same exact platform as they do instead of, um, you know, in, in online where it can really get lost and things like that. So uh, it's been an unbelievable opportunity to host one-on-one as well as do other things such as um, some beat reporting. I'll be the New York Giants beat reporter this upcoming fall. Uh, I covered the Brooklyn Nets um, in the 2016-17 season where they were the worst team in the NBA. So that was that was pretty interesting to say the least covering that team. And uh, I've also done some play-by-play for the, the Fordham baseball team and some sidelines for the Fordham football team. So it gives us an 
you know, just an unbelievable amount of opportunities, and I'm eternally grateful to WFUV for that what they've offered me. Sure. That, no, that that's uh, great. I mean, I, I find it really amazing that, uh, you know, like you said, you're, you get to do a beat reporter covering these professional sports teams. So, in other words, you know, you, WFUV supplies you with, like, the press pass and everything you need to be oh, able yeah. to just kind of go in, you know, to the press conferences, interview players or whatever. I mean, that's uh, – what an opportunity. That That's something. And, and you know, it, it's interesting because I think when people think of New York and maybe they think of great broadcaster communication schools, everyone, of course, cer- you know, certainly will go – North into the middle of the state and, and Syracuse University and the Newhouse School. I don't know if people really think of Fordham as much as a, as a big communication school, but you you mentioned uh, the, the list of long list of alumni that have uh, have gone through there who've gone on to very successful uh, broadcasting careers. Yeah, I, I think it's right on par with Syracuse. Um, you know, the advantage that we really get is being in New York. You know, it doesn't have necessarily that that communication school like Syracuse has you know with the new house school that's very uh, prestigious but we have the city you know we have the ability to go to these games and cover these games and meet people uh, in the New York City area and make these connections um, but you know also giving us the platform as well to where we're able to expand beyond this you know like how we have the opportunity to talk today which is unbelievable yeah well who's the most interesting athlete you've uh, been able to meet uh, through your connections with with FUV best athlete well yeah maybe the best or, or maybe or you know, like your maybe your personal favorite and then just maybe someone who was extremely interesting more interesting than you might have thought yeah brooke lopez actually from the nets i i ended up you know making a nice relationship with him he's great with the media you know you I, i've covered the knicks as well and carmelo anthony was a guy who you know would take his time in the shower do what he had to do get himself ready to go talk to the media quick and get out of there brooke lopez after every single game in his seat ready to talk to the media, everyone would go right over to him and have a conversation with him. And, you know, if they lost by 20 or, you know, won the game, he was the same way, even keel. And you were able to talk to him about just about anything. And it really seemed like he, he not necessarily cared about the media, but cared about the way that he was perceived among the media. And, you know, he was just a real class act. And, you know, the opportunity to cover him was a lot of fun. Um, you know, getting to see, I'm just really excited to get to see Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham and Eli Manning as well uh, for when I cover the Giants this year. Well, I also think it speaks to some of these athletes, too, because they're probably looking down at your microphone and they don't see like an ESPN uh, logo on it or, or you know, NBC or CBS Sports or some major broadcast network. They're seeing, you know, a college radio station and yet they're still giving you the time or taking the time uh, to talk to you and, and respect you as a member of the of the working media. Right. I mean, we're by far the youngest people there, and we've earned we've earned some respect, you know, in the clubhouses. So, um, and you know, for the players too, we're really closer in age and closer in personalities to these players than most of the traditional sports writers are. So, you know, I feel like we we also have a unique perspective in that way. Uh, have you uh, encountered any uh, difficulties yet, or has there been any kind of like crazy stories that have uh, have taken that you've experienced as a result of uh, your your beat reporting? Crazy stories, like no like crazy drama, really, or anything like that. Um, yeah, nothing too crazy. Um, you know, I, I've gotten the chance to speak with Matt Harvey a little bit. He's an interesting uh, subject. Um, and I, you know, I'd love to have a one-on-one conversation with him, for example. But nothing, nothing that's gotten out of hand, really. I would say. 
Yeah. Well, and then the other advantage is, like you say, you go out to the games, you, you, you know, you're talking to them in the locker room, and then you get to kind of parlay that into, oh, yeah, you know, I'm part of a talk show, I, I, you know, I co-host a show, and then you can get them on and, and maybe talk a little longer in depth, and then you've got a, you know, a whole listening audience as well. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, some of these guys are a little, a little shy away from, you know, maybe doing 20 minutes on a talk show. Um, but, you know, I, I've approached guys before, you know, saying, hey, we have a, a three-hour talk show if you'd ever be interested in coming on. Those calls went unanswered, but um, it, it won't stop me from trying. Now, uh, you know, I, I understand it's, it's a New York station. You know, you've you got beat reporters covering all the New York teams. But have you ever tried to uh, use your Red Sox fandom or as an advantage to be able to, you know, maybe finagle, go into a, you know, a game involving the Red Sox where maybe you'd have a chance to uh, interview some of them, uh, you know, for the show? I'll be, I'll be, I'm, I was able to make a trade with, uh, with the Yankees reporter. So he'll be giving me one of those September Red Sox games and I'll, I'll give a Giants game to him. So in September, I'll be at Yankee Stadium covering the Red Sox, and I couldn't be more excited for it. Yeah, no, those should be great games. I mean, they, they're meeting, what, uh, six times over the last two weeks of the regular season. And with that, let's use this as a segue uh, to talk about the Red Sox and Yankees game. We're talking to David Spampanato uh, from Fordham University's WFUV and the, uh, the one-on-one show. And as he's mentioned, he's also gotten to cover a lot of the, uh, the New York pro teams, and uh, we'll get a chance to – uh, meet and greet the Red Sox in a, in a few weeks. Uh, right now, of course, the Red Sox in pretty good shape as we're uh, recording this uh, Toddcast uh, with the Yankees losing earlier this afternoon. Uh, current lead for the Red Sox, five and a half games over New York. And, uh, of course, the big news in the last 24 hours, and that's why kind of why you're, you're a well-timed guest here. We can uh, uh, just go right into the, uh, the big trades that both the Red Sox and Yankees made. And I guess if we're going to uh, do it chronologically before we get to the Red Sox side that we both want to probably get get to first but we'll do it chronologically and and probably the bigger name for sure Zach Britton gets uh, acquired by the Yankees there were several teams uh, rumored to be in the bidding and the, the Yankees get him for three minor leaguers um, so uh, your initial thoughts uh, when you heard about that trade I mean it helps the Yankees uh, without a doubt um, and then when it comes to the return you know Baltimore got a nice return Dylan Tate is a nice player um, he was picked fourth overall and I believe the 2013 draft uh, right-hander out of UC Santa Barbara, and the Yankees got him from for Carlos Beltran a couple years back. So they're able to take Carlos Beltran and turn it into Zach Britton, helping them in 2018, which is crazy that Cashman's actually able to to go and do that. But you know, the Yankees, you might say they're giving up some prospects, but they were going to lose these guys in the Rule Five draft anyway. So it's a huge win for the Yankees and helps them extend their bullpen, um, which they don't need, but it, it can absolutely help them with the the starting pitching that they've gotten as of late. Yeah, I mean, you just look at now what they've got in the bullpen. Obviously, their closer, Araldus Chapman, but, you know, they've got like three other former closers. They've got David Robertson. They've got uh, uh, D- Dylan Batances, and, you know, now they've got Zach Britton. Chad Green's had a good year. Jonathan Holder's had a good year. I mean, you know, maybe they're lacking in starting pitching, like you said, David, but the fact is that, you know, maybe as they get down the stretch, and especially in the playoffs where the trend seems to be now, who cares if your starter can't go five innings? We'll just shorten the game with a, an unhittable bullpen. And uh, the Yankees uh, certainly have added to that uh, with Britain. Of course, some of this is under the assumption that Britain's going to continue to to return back to form. Uh, you know, he's still like what about a month and a half removed from just coming off the DL. So we'll we'll see if he uh, just continues to to get back to the form he had before the Achilles injury. Yeah, um, you know, he, he struggled a little bit, and last year wasn't quite what. 
2016 was where I feel like he was undoubtedly the best pitcher in baseball. He had an ERA of .54. You know, it was ridiculous what he was able to do back in 2016. But, you know, they can, they'll be able to piece it together if they need to in a game four where they have to pitch Sonny Gray in a pinch potentially. They could have him go three innings and then send it off to Chad Green for the fourth and the fifth, give it to Robertson for the sixth, Batanzas for the seventh, Britain for the eighth and Chapman for the ninth, if that's really something that they need to do. But it's going to not only will it help them in that kind of situation, it's going to help them as they make this push for the division against the Red Sox. While it's not going to be easy, Britain's going to be a good piece to help them do that. Yeah, no, absolutely, no question. And, uh, you know, the Yankees are certainly going to be in the hunt for a. Uh, uh, a starter uh, as we get, uh, you know, we still got like six days to go till the trade deadline. And, uh, you know, now, uh, again, fast forward over the last 24 hours. Of course, uh, the uh, Yankees played this afternoon down in uh, St. Pete at, at the Tropicana uh, Park there. And uh, they were supposed to face uh, Nathan Avaldi, uh, the Tampa Bay starter, but he got pulled uh, from that start. And it turns out it's because he got traded to the Red Sox. Uh, Red Sox acquiring Avaldi. For uh, Jalen Beeks, who's made a couple of spot starts for the Sox this year, uh, some people might look at him, at least based on those starts, as maybe the proverbial 4A player, although given the Red Sox' current farm system, I mean, he might be one of their their better prospects. But in getting Evaldi, uh, a former Yankee, among other teams, uh, the Red Sox could be getting someone who's also, you know, like Britton, kind of coming back from injuries. So, uh, I mean, what was your thoughts uh, on hearing about Evaldi? Because I know, uh, you know, the, the, like the, the stat geeks love this trade, and yet, you know, the talk show hosts were panning it this afternoon. Yeah, I mean, I like it. I mean, I don't think there's any reason not to like it. You know, Jalen Beeks could be a good player down the road. We saw him pitch a couple of times. He actually went to Arkansas and played with Andrew Benintendi, but... You know, Ivaldi's a guy who has a fastball in the upper 90s. He has a really nice cutter. And ever since he made his debut this year on May 30th, he's got the third lowest whip in the American League. So, you know, his ERA might be a little bit inflated, but this is a guy with really good stuff who's going to be effective whether he's a starter or whether he actually ends up being a reliever in the playoffs. But I still think they need one more relief pitcher. Yeah, no, I, I would agree, especially the way Joe Kelly's been pitching lately. Uh, there's no question they need him. I mean, Evaldi is someone who can help them now as a starter because of the uh, you know the uncertain timetable for the returns of Eduardo Rodriguez and Stephen Wright, and not to mention you know Drew Pomeran struggled last night, giving up a, a couple of gopher balls to the Orioles. And that was that might have been something that do you think that that might have uh, you know after Dombrowski watched Pomerantz last night that could have precipitated uh, them uh, making this deal for Evaldi now as opposed to waiting any longer? I think it could have. Um, you know, I think maybe Dombrowski woke up this morning and was feeling a little bit aggressive after being disappointed in what Pomerantz was able to do. I mean, you know, he's got an ERA close to seven, and his fastball has been in the mid to upper 80s. You know. Um, against the Yankees, I feel like he's a nightmare matchup for the Red Sox. You know, he's going to get hit every single time in a, a right-handed heavy lineup where he's going to get beat on high 80s fastballs, you know. So I think it's possible um, that the move was made after, after Pomeran struggled, but I think it would have been a move they maybe would have made anyway. Um, either way, I like it. You know, of all these 28 um, he's still got great stuff despite all the injuries, but he's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. So if it ends up being a bust, no harm, no foul. 
And if it's not, then, uh, you know, the Red Sox might be able to get him back at a relatively good deal. Of course, Drew Pomeranz also a free agent at the end of the year, uh, too. Yeah, as I'm looking over Evaldi's, uh, I was looking over his numbers, and I'm actually looking at some of them now. Uh, certainly, it's encouraging the way he's pitched this year is uh, strikeouts per nine uh, in the 57 innings he's pitched this year is uh, almost eight and a half, which is uh, about a, almost uh, one and a half more than his best season uh, prior to his, uh, you know, his recent Tommy John surgery. And his whip also below one prior to that. His career whip has uh, been over one three. So, uh, yeah, the numbers certainly, uh, you know, seem to be kind of spelling it out, which is, I guess, I, it's why the, I guess the folks on fan graphs and, and other stat-related websites are, are really liking this uh, deal for the Red Sox and why they thought Evaldi might have been one of the best starting pitchers available on the market here prior to the July 31st deadline. Yeah, and I think when you look at all these new, you know, ways of looking at baseball with statistics and whatnot, strikeouts – absolutely help for a starting pitcher in his metrics, you know, and that's what Evaldi does. He doesn't let many runners get on base. He does give up some long balls. He'll leave a ball over the middle, and, you know, these guys can hit it in the upper 90s. So, you know, that's where he gets beat a little bit. But he's taken a couple games into, you know, the fifth or sixth inning without allowing a hit. So, you know, he's got the type of stuff where you can let him go through five or six innings, show it all, and then just take it to the bullpen after that. But, um Again, I like the move, 28-year-old right-hander that could use another right-hander alongside Rick Porcello, changing up the look after you have uh, sale price and Erod. But, I, I mean, I like the move, extending the, you know, expanding the pitching staff a little bit. Yeah, in fact, I, I think uh, as they make this uh, move, I believe sales next start is supposed to be, I think, Saturday. And then Ivaldi will make his Red Sox debut uh, this coming Sunday against the Minnesota Twins. So they've slotted him him in after sale. So as opposed, it'll kind of split sale and price up, which I guess this sort of happened anyway with the realignment of the rotation here after the break. But uh, there's always been that talk that sometimes, you know, pitching sale and price to kind of power lefties back-to-back wasn't maybe always the best strategy. Oh, but they're your top two pitchers, so, you know, you should put them there. But maybe slotting Evaldi in between them, uh, you know, is kind of a change of pace that that might benefit all of them. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility, you know, and then change the change the looks between him and Porcello as well. You know, Porcello's a a bigger guy who throws in the lower 90s with a lot of movement, while Evaldi's a smaller guy, you know, lower arm slot who throws in the upper 90s. So, you know, you look at the guys in this rotation with Sale Price, Evaldi. Porcello and Erod, you're changing up the looks really nicely, you know, and in a playoff series, I think that counts for something. Yeah. Now, what's your thoughts of the uh, the Sox? Uh, you know, up to, you know up to this point in the season. I mean, certainly they're they're on pace to to shatter the uh, the team record for most wins set all the way back in 1912, long before any of us uh, were around. And uh, I mean, you just you know the the numbers have been off the charts. Forty games over 500 at one point. I guess, if they win tonight, they'll be 40 games over 500 again. And uh, they haven't done that since 1949. I mean, it's just you know the, 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 these are staggering numbers, and it's a team that, you know, it seems like everything's kind of come together for them. What is, what's been your thoughts uh, so far this year? I mean, there's not much to say aside from the fact that they've been absolutely outstanding. Um, you know, despite the fact that there have been some guys underperforming, you know, I mean, J.D. Martinez has been outstanding, Mookie Betts has been outstanding, Benintendi, same thing, but I think we can still see more out of David Price. I think we can still see a lot out of a guy like Rafael Devers. You know, so I think there's still more in the tank for this team. Um, you know, that's not saying that I think they're going to go out and win 120 games, 
but if they go 500 the rest of the way, they're still going to win 100 games. You know, this, this team is on a ridiculous pace. Now, they still have their work cut out for them. I think they have 25, 26 games against some pretty good teams. So they've still got some work to do to hold on to that divisional lead. Um, I wouldn't write it off just yet, but they're looking pretty good right now, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't write it off either. They, like you say, they have uh, you know ten more games coming up against the Yankees. Uh, four of them will be uh, uh, the weekend after uh, next, and uh, you know the the six uh, that are coming up uh, in late September. Uh, certainly, do you think uh, you know? Really, I mean, yes, JD Martinez is a new face. He wasn't here last year, but really, for the most part, a lot of these guys were with the Red Sox last year. And, you know, the only other major difference outside of J.D. Martinez you got to look at is the manager. I mean, what's your thought been uh, with Alex Cora and what he's been able to get out of these guys compared to uh, John Farrell a year ago? Yeah, I think, I think Cora gives a nice dynamic to this group. You know, he's more of that player-manager type that we're seeing um, hired more often. You know, um, Farrell... You know, I didn't have a problem with him. I thought he was a fine manager. I thought there were some in-game decisions that made me scratch my head a little bit. But I don't think that's where that's necessarily where the difference is being made. I think the clubhouse is looser. You know, you see pictures on social media of these guys dressing up when they go on road trips, and it's just fun. You know, last year's team was a little bit stale, and they were unlikable almost when you had David Price taking shots at Dennis Eckersley and Evan Drellick, and you were like, what is going on in this clubhouse? And now it's been almost the exact opposite. You know, the, the campaign to get Andrew Benintendi into the All-Star game was fun. You know, even though he didn't get in, it was fun to see that these guys really care about each other and they really like each other and want to see one another succeed. You know, so I think Cora has done a really nice job creating a good camaraderie around the clubhouse. And then his in-game decisions have been really good as well. He's made some head scratchers, but I've been completely okay with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Cora has all that. I think he's got the acumen. He's got the experience of having played here in Boston, so he understands the market. He understands the media, which I think helps him certainly as a manager as well. And I think amongst his players, what I think maybe a big quality that gets overlooked a lot is that he's bilingual, which is, you know, certainly you've got quite a few Spanish-speaking players or, or players on the Red Sox where English is not their best language, and the fact that Cora can communicate with them just as easily as anybody else, it's, I, you know, I, I don't think he can overlook that. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's, it's absolutely something when you have, you know, a guy like Rafael Devers who's 21 years old and might not feel totally comfortable communicating in English. Um, you know, although he has struggled, I think that Cora will be able to communicate well with him just for the fact that he's able to speak Spanish as well. Yeah, and, and then, you know, contrast that with John Farrell. To me, and, and this wasn't talked about enough, but I've been talking about it since, you know, la the beginning of last season when it was going on, uh, the whole Jessica Moran affair, I mean, the way it was dealt with, I think probably the way Farrell even, you know, how that got, how the players kind of knew about it or found out about it. I, I say, you know, a baseball team in a lot of ways, I mean, these guys are together for six months of the year every single day. It's kind of an extreme version of working in an office. And if your boss is suddenly, like, you know, having an affair with the secretary, and you're going to lose some respect for your boss. And I honestly think, you know, once Farrell got involved with Jessica Moran, he lost the room. I think those players lost all respect for him. And that's why you had a little bit of, you know, kind of chaos going on. And you had, you know, uh, David Price just shooting his mouth 
off, uh, you know, and, and all, all, you know, it's why they were an unlikable team and kind of a, a tight, miserable team. I mean, I just think that it really started there. In my, that's my opinion anyway. Oh, no, I totally agree. You know, you have coaches and, you know, authority figures that are supposed to be these perfect, perfect godlike figures almost that are not supposed to make any mistakes that are always supposed to say the right thing and in the you know in the difficult situation and Farrell wasn't necessarily that necessarily that type of guy you know to your point about David Price and 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 Farrell's relationship in particular um, you know I think it was game game three of the playoffs when Price came in and was outstanding in relief. I don't know how much you can look into this, but I felt like every time he walked into the dugout, he wouldn't even make eye contact with John Farrell. And, you know, you're, I think you're right in the fact that he lost the room um, after he decided to do that. And you're just held to a higher standard when you're a major league manager. I mean, everyone's a professional, but you've got to hold yourself to a higher standard than deciding to go and do something like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, no one's asking you to be, you know, 110% morally righteous. I mean, you want to try to set a good example for your for your players, but, you know, as I said, Farrell just, you know, everything, every way he handled that situation was just totally wrong. It was not a good look for him. And then, you know, as I said, he, he lost everybody, and, and then he just, you know, the, the fact that I don't think he was a great communicator to begin with maybe with some of those players, you know, just made it tougher all the way. But let's get back to, you know, the current team and, uh, you know, what the, what they're uh, expected to do down the stretch. The one thing I think we're, we're, we're pretty safe in saying at this point, given their record, uh, you know, is that they're going to be playing in October or should be playing in October, barring some uh, horrific collapse. But, you know, as you uh, look ahead, let me just ask you really quick here, David, have you thought about yet maybe what the a potential playoff rotation would look like? Uh, you know, because you mentioned uh, you talked about last year when Price came out of the bullpen, and I think that's kind of a big, you know, uh, a sticking point, uh, you know, looking ahead. I mean, everyone knows Sale would start game one. Let's just assume for the sake of this argument that, you know, the play-in game, whatever, doesn't affect your rotation. So you go into a, a divisional series or whatever, game one, you've got Sale. But, you know, who goes after that in, in your uh, if you're managing the Red Sox? It's a good question. I mean, you're paying David Price $217 million for a reason. And, you know, I would predict that, that that matchup would be against the Yankees in the ALDS. If they go and win that wild card game against Seattle or Oakland, it would be against the Yankees. And I would say, you know, David Price, hey, you got to step up. You got to be the $200 million man right here. So, game two, I'm going to give it to David Price. I just think he's the second most talented pitcher on this team. I trust him. I would go with David Price in game two. Game three, I'd say Porcello. And then. Either go sail on three days rest, which I wouldn't particularly do in an ALDS. But, again, if Eduardo Rodriguez is comfortable, I'm fine with going to him. So I'd go sail, price, Porcello, Erod. You know, you, you, as you were doing that, though, you just made me think of something. It, you know, depending on who wins the division and who's the wild card winner, uh, depends on where games one and two are being played. Now, if, if it were to be the Yankees come back and win the division and the Red Sox have to win the play-in game as, as the wild card, so games one and two are in New York, and I would definitely agree with you. Sale price should be a no-brainer. You, you want the two lefties pitching at Yankee Stadium. I think if games one and two are at Fenway, and a lot would depend, again, on how Price is pitching at the end of the year, but, 
you know, I could see maybe going to Porcello in game two, uh, and, and it would depend on how both those guys are pitching at the time, but, you know, and where, where Price ultimately winds up, again, a lot of it's going to depend on, you know, what he's able to do. Now, he had a good first start coming out of the uh, All-Star break, so uh, you hope that's the start of something. I mean, it is Detroit, so you kind of take it with, you know, the proverbial grain of salt, but, you know, you hope he can kind of, uh, you know, because he had been, you know, Price had been struggling a little bit before uh, before getting to the uh, the break. Yeah, I mean, he, he stumbled in that Yankee start, without a doubt. Um, but, you know, if you take away the, I mean, this is this is just, I, I don't like doing this too much, but I'm going to do it right here. If you take away those two Yankee starts out of Price's ERA, he's sitting around 3-4. So that 4-1, 4-1-7 that he has right now, it's a little inflated, you know, in two bad starts. So other than those two starts, he's been really, really good this year. And he gets run support. You know, I don't know what it is with, with run support that the same guys are able to get it and other guys are not able to get it. You know, for example, Jacob deGrom, I don't know what kind of curse he has with when he pitches the Mets are just unable to score runs, but Price is the exact opposite. You know, he'll give up some runs, the Red Sox will score him for him. And, you know, for that reason, he's 11-6 and six and is able to keep them yeah. in games. While I don't like wins as a total barometer for pitchers' success, I still think Price is the more talented guy. Now, to your point about Price pitching at Yankee Stadium, I don't think I want anything to do with that. Um, you know, I think I think the Yankees fans will eat him alive. I mean, he's pitched poorly at Yankee Stadium his entire career, especially this season in both of his two starts against the Yankees. So, I, I mean, game one, two, if the Red Sox do win that division, it would be at Fenway. So I'd take, like I said, I'd take Price and Sale in, uh, in one and two at Fenway Park instead of Yankee Stadium. Yeah, no, that's an interesting take, too. You're right. I mean, his career numbers at Yankee Stadium are not very good. Uh, I have an easy answer to the DeGrom d- dilemma you, you posed there. It's the same. He's dealing with the curse of the ace. I mean, every ace. I mean, the Red Sox, I think if you look at their rotation this year, I think they score fewer runs for sale than anyone else. Before that, they'd score fewer runs for Pedro than any of the other starters. I mean, you can go across any rotation in baseball, and I think part of it's the psychological factor that the lineup goes out there knowing, hey, we got our ace on the hill. We know he's not going to give up a lot of runs. So, you know, maybe, you know, they don't necessarily say we're just, we only need to score a couple runs to win. I don't think they're, they're saying that out loud, but, you know, certainly I, I think there's some kind of a, a little factor psychologically or mentally there where they're going to, you know, maybe let up a little bit offensively knowing, well, you know, we don't have to have our best offensive night tonight. And then before you know it, right, they're, they're only scoring a couple runs uh, each time uh, the ace starts. Yeah, I mean, maybe the, the aggression isn't quite there. You know, you could say, you know, just scrape a couple across, get three or four, and that's what you play for. You know, that could absolutely be an approach. Um, you know, I, I, you know, in playing and, you know, in being around baseball, I don't think it experiences it. I don't think it's, it's that big of an effect, but, you know, when it continues to happen, you can almost psych yourself into it. And when the media buys into it and the fans buy into it, you as a player maybe say, you know, dang, we can't score for this guy. And, like you said, Chris Sale has experienced some of that, and it's only been recently when he has pretty much given up no runs in the last month and a half where you can do nothing but win when he takes the mound. 
Uh, one thing that's uh, certainly happened uh, this this month alone uh, with the Red Sox and Yankees, it went, uh, on July 1st when these teams met at Yankee Stadium in the middle of their uh, three-game series, the teams were tied for first place. Actually, uh, that was as of the Sunday night game, the game we kind of referenced earlier when uh, David Price uh, uh, more than stumbled against the Yankees. Uh, that game uh, put the Yankees in a tie, and actually they led the Red Sox by percentage points in the division. And uh, since then... Uh, the Red Sox are uh, 15 and three. The Yankees are 10 and nine. And uh, you know, one of the things I've looked at, I guess, the Yankees' slump goes back a little further. Uh, there was a, a three-game series against uh, Tampa Bay uh, back uh, starting on June 22nd when they got swept. And a lot of this seems to coincide with uh, no Gary Sanchez in the lineup. And I know Sanchez has had a bad year at the plate. But uh, you know, it certainly feels like that the team has struggled more offensively when he's hasn't been in the lineup he's been on the DL he just got put back on the DL after that uh, uh, questionable uh, effort on uh, Monday night which may have not been questionable if he was hurting but uh, certainly the fact he didn't run very hard to first base might have cost the Yankees a, a shot at uh, beating the Rays Monday night so you know what's your what's your your thinking there with regards to uh, to Sanchez and, and just maybe the Yankees overall I mean a 500 team over the last month that's not uh, you know, certainly, uh, what anyone expected them to do at any point this year. Yeah, they're better. They're better than a 500 ball club. You know, um, at any point. You know, um, but as far as Sanchez goes, I'm getting the feel that a lot of Yankees fans are fed up with this guy. You know, just in terms of his defense. And then this year, it's been a lack of offensive production. You know, he's been below the Mendoza line. Um, and while he's able to hit some home runs, you can't do any of that when you're when you're hurt and. You know that game where he got crossed up and then didn't hustle, didn't hustle after the ball, and Jake Bauer scored from second to put the Rays up one nothing. And then the cherry on top was not running out that ground ball where he would have, without a doubt, been safe. Um, with that being said, you know Sanchez is a major piece of this lineup, but I don't think they're going to miss him as much as they would a, a you know Giancarlo Stanton or uh, Aaron Judge. But the real guy that they've missed, who they're now getting back, is Gleyber Torres. They're 18 and 17 when he doesn't play. Um, he's going to make a real difference in this lineup. And now with Sanchez out, it kind of opens up a spot for him to maybe hit in the middle or top of the order. So getting Gleyber Torres back is undoubtedly a huge piece for the Yankees. I mean, he can do a lot of things. He plays really good defense at second base. He can run. He can steal some bases and hit for power and hits close to 300. So he's a really big piece that they're getting back. Right, and he brings all the worst puns out of John Sterling too. Uh, but no, I just uh, no. There's no question. I mean, out of all the young players on both the Red Sox and Yankees, Gleyber Torres is certainly you know got to be in the the top three if you were ranking all you know the talents of all these guys, and even maybe the upside. He certainly uh, looks really good. One of the compare and contrasts that uh, happened here in Boston uh, on sports radio this week, uh, particularly in you know following the uh, the Monday night game and and Sanchez uh, you know getting thrown out to end that game uh, with the reactions of the managers because uh, the Red Sox had a similar play where uh, uh, Rafael Devers didn't hustle and he got doubled off and uh, both uh, you know Alex Cora and Aaron Boone were interviewed after the game and Alex Cora you know certainly called Devers out he did it in a respectful way and didn't just like throw him under the bus but he did it you know he said that you know that's that's on him and he needs to do you know we need to do better or he needs to do better in that spot and Aaron Boone kind of seemed to give Sanchez a free 
free pass. I guess, let me ask you, I mean, you certainly listen to a lot more uh, FAN than I do. Uh, what what are the Yankee fans thinking so far of uh, of Aaron Boone's, uh, you know, freshman season uh, on the uh, Yankee bench? Yeah, I mean, if you remember, the Yankees pretty much got to this conundrum where it was either Gary Sanchez or it was Joe Girardi because they didn't have a great relationship, and they ended up choosing Sanchez against, not necessarily against the wishes of the fans, but the fans said, okay, a catcher that can hit 30 bombs is probably more important than a manager, especially in baseball now. As it turns out, you know, Boone isn't the type of guy to hold players to the same accountability as Girardi would. You know, I don't know if you remember last year, but Girardi kind of called out Sanchez saying, you know, he's got to work behind the plate. He's got he's to block these balls because that's been his biggest issue is blocking the baseball. And it, it was nice to see Cora kind of be honest with the media and say, hey, you know, that's not going to be acceptable, you know, with Devers. And yes, he's a young guy, Sanchez the same way, so there's going to be some slips, but there's no excuse for not hustling, you know, no matter how old you are, what level of baseball you play. Was I hearing that, uh, you know, coming into the season, Sanchez was a little bit out of shape, too? I mean, it, I have to admit, it's hard for me to tell sometimes with catchers because of their, their overall shape, uh, you know, whether they're they're really in shape or not. And, uh, I mean, to me, Sanchez doesn't really look like he's gotten any bigger. But, I mean, what, uh, is, that, uh, is that part of maybe the reason why he's only been hitting like a buck sixty this year? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that it's kind of. I don't think that that's been the main focus of why he's been hitting so poorly. You know, I mean, he's still among, despite the fact that he's missed games, he's still among the leaders in the American League in power amongst catchers. And if you give him two more months of the season, he's probably going to finish with 25 homers regardless. So, you know, there's been a lot of complaint about Sanchez, but at the end of the day, you're going to get power out of the guy, and that's really hard to find at the catcher position. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, yeah, again, we're talking to uh, David Spampanato from WFUV, uh, Fordham University Radio, and uh, we've been talking a lot of Red Sox-Yankees. Uh, David, is uh, he grew up on Long Island. He goes to Fordham University, yet he's a Red Sox fan, and uh, yeah, but he gets to listen to a lot of uh, New York radio down there, and uh, obviously with his own show, too. I mean, what about some of the callers uh, you, you take on uh, on your show uh, on one-on-one? Uh, I mean, is, it's got to be a lot of Yankees fans. I mean, do a lot of the callers come after you too as being a, a Red Sox fan or what's that experience? No, I mean, I, you know, I, it's not that I try to hide it. I just try to be objective. I try to, you know, let it go, you know, and and, and not let it go, but, you know, I try to I try to say it as as I, I think it's going to happen. You know, there was a, a an episode that we did or a show that we did uh, before the season started and we were giving our preseason predictions and I said, hey, I, I think this Yankees team is better than this Red Sox team just on paper and I thought the Yankees were going to win the division. I really did. But, I mean, luckily I, I was wrong and so far. I just try to be <laughs> as objective as possible. Um, we actually yeah. get a lot of Mets callers. You know, a lot of Mets fans like to rant about their team. Um, if you ever listen to FAN or listen to us on FUV, a lot of Mets fans like to rant about their team. They all want to keep Jacob DeGrom for some reason, want the Wilpons out. But, yeah, I mean, all, our callers are passionate, you know, the same way any EEI callers or FAN callers would be. Yeah, do you listen, actually, uh, you, you brought up, uh, you, you mentioned uh, WEI and 98.5. Uh, do, you, do you listen to them online quite a bit or on your app or whatever? Yeah, yeah, I'll listen to them. I'll listen to the Barstool guys as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I just try to get as much as I can, you know, from, from a lot of different perspectives. You know, I think that I 
learn a lot, you know, from a lot of different uh, shows and podcasts and whatnot. It's funny you mentioned Barstool because you kind of sound a little like Jared Carabas. <laughs> really? I mean that in a good way. No, Jared knows his stuff uh, when talking about the Sox, and I'm sure he's probably one of the guys you, you hear fairly well. Yeah, I mean, actually, there. one of my, my friends, he goes by Tommy Smokes at Barstool. He calls me, him and one of my other friends that just graduated, they called me Mini Carabas because I'm, you know, a, a big Red Sox guy. Have, mm. We have similar takes and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's funny that you say that. Well, you know, before we came on the air, David, you also mentioned, and I, I do want you to bring up the story since we're talking baseball and Fordham and everything, you actually, unlike probably anyone else at, at the at WFUV, have actually played uh, varsity sports. You're not only covering the sports teams, but, you know, you're also, uh, you, you've played uh, varsity baseball. And, and Fordham, uh, for those people who don't know, have a Division One program. So talk about your, your experience on on the Fordham baseball team this past year? Yeah, so um, I came into college my freshman year, maybe interested in playing Division One. I. I wasn't recruited. I was maybe interested in trying out for the team, but Fordham has a club baseball team. So I said, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to try out for this team and continue to play baseball, you know, work at WFUV, succeed in school, meet friends like a normal college kid really would, you know. And then... I did that for two years, had a lot of success with the club team, and then in doing play-by-play with the the Fordham baseball team, I got to watch a lot of games, see what these guys were capable of, and not that I thought I was better than any of these guys. I said, you know, I, I feel like I can, if I put some work in over the summer, I can be at the level of these guys or close to it. And um, so I worked a lot my sophomore going on junior year um, to try and make this team. I tried out. In September, they ended up keeping me for the fall and then keeping me for the spring as well. So I was, uh, which isn't too common, which is a junior walk-on, uh, junior walk-on catcher for the Fordham baseball team. And it was uh, a really nice experience getting to, to travel across the country despite not playing a whole, a whole lot. Yeah, no, that is pretty cool. Well, see, now you you know you were giving your analysis earlier. You were talking about uh, Sanchez and your, you know, the fact you're a big Jason Veritek fan. I kind of understand it a little bit more now, given the fact that you yourself are a, a catcher. I mean, what made you? I have to ask, you know, when, especially if you get into catching at a young age, is it just a case of, you know, you you want to play? Nobody else wants to do it. It's a thankless job, and you know, if you if you're willing to to do it and get yourself beat up. Uh, over it that you'll get a chance to play more. Yeah, I, I'd kind of done it when I was young, and then I don't know why this just pops up in my head, but one of my best friend's dad was, was our coach when we were young, and there was some, some basketball event going on at my town, like a you know, three-on-three tournament, something like that, up at the high school, and my friend's dad goes up to me, he goes, hey, Dave, you're, you're, uh, you're batting first and you're catching tomorrow. I'm like, oh, I'm catching? What? I, 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 you know, I, don't, I don't like catching. You know, so that was just my original um, perspective of it. And then I remember catching, and I was like, yeah, this is, this is pretty fun. You know, you get to be involved in the game entirely. And then um, as I kept going up, I kept doing it, kept improving, and um, really enjoyed it, you know, especially the cat-and-mouse game of, you know, being able to toy with the hitter and reading what, what his swing tells you about what the next pitch could possibly be. But um, one more thing about, about playing on the baseball team this year, you kind of get a newfound respect for college athletes and especially professional athletes, you know, the sacrifices that they make to, to play their sport and succeed, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. And, you know, I have a lot of respect for not only the guys on my team, but every professional athlete and division one college athlete. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I can, I can, to some level, I can kind of relate to that as well. I, I do some work uh, as public address announcer for a couple of Division three schools in the Boston area, and I actually do baseball PA. So, you know, you get to see. In fact, it sounds like you probably, you know, it was, it was probably tough, you know, obviously trying to crack a, a D one uh, roster, but it, it certainly sounds like with some of your skills, maybe you probably would have more than held your own. Probably could have played varsity uh, for some of the D three uh, schools up here. Uh, even, you know, get a good education to. Boot, but yeah. uh, uh, you know, well, it's also funny too. You go, you harken back to that story. Hey, Todd, what? Everyone, everyone loves hearing the PA guy's voice. Everyone loves hearing the the, the walk up music come on, hearing the PA guy, and you just feel like you're a major leaguer. So, well, there you go. Every athlete has a lot of respect for guys like you. Well, well, thank, <laughs> gee, thanks. Uh, no, I was gonna also mention, you know, just going back to your story about, you know, how when you were younger, your coach uh, got you. And I like the. I was about to say your coach sold it to you really well. He said, said, Dave, you're leading off and you're catching and you were going oh I don't want to catch but he sort of threw you notice he threw the leadoff part in there first because he was trying to you know kind of really sell you on that uh, you know he wanted you to say well okay I'm gonna bat leadoff all right you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, as we kind of wrap up talking baseball here, uh, just your general thoughts on on the uh, this MLB this season, uh, whether it, it was, you know, maybe the All-Star game and, and what happened there, or just, you know, the fact, you know, you can take the entire National League, uh, all, fi- all 15 teams, and just sort of, you know, put them, slide them into the American League, and they're just sort of filling up the middle of the pack. Uh, I mean, you've got three great teams in the American League and nothing else, and in the National League, it's all parity where, you know, I mean, the Red Sox have already won 70 games, and nobody in the National League's even won 60 games yet. Yeah, it's crazy, you know, the difference just between these two leagues. It's, it kind of reminds me of the NBA, you know, a couple of years back with the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference, and it still kind of is laid out even more so now with LeBron going to the Western Conference. It feels a little bit like that. Um, you know, regardless, there's a lot of talent in the NL. Um, you know, the NL East is really competitive. Um, if the Nationals are underperforming, and we're seeing the rise of the, the Phillies and the Braves, you know, these two teams that have struggled for the past couple of years. But, you know, the Dodgers landing Manny Machado, they're going to be competitive. They're going to be there. The Cubs, same thing. They're going to be there. Um, but, you know, the focus, like you said, has really been on the American League, especially with the Yankees and Red Sox. And, honestly, I think it's pretty good for baseball. Yeah, do you think, uh, you know, again, we're just a few days from the July 31st trade deadline. You, do you see any other big names or even maybe bigger names than guys who've already um, changed teams? Uh, do you see anybody else on the move here uh, before the deadline? Or, you know, obviously obviously, there's a lot of teams with needs out there. I mean, for the Red Sox, I want Brian Dozier. I don't know about you because we're not going to be seeing Pedroia, it feels like. But Brian Dozier in the middle of this lineup would be absolutely awesome. Okay, uh, well, let me try to refute that. I mean, first of all, I don't think the Red Sox have any kind of farm system to be able to to compete. Uh, second, I guess, you know, there's been talk this week. Uh, Alex Spear, a reporter from the Boston Globe, uh, said the, that uh, Dombrowski came out and said that the Red Sox would be willing to go over the $237 million uh, luxury tax threat. It's actually the upper threshold, the one where now your, your draft position gets bumped down and, you, you know, your taxes like triple that you're paying. Yeah. Uh, that the Red Sox are willing to do that, uh, you know, so maybe, I, I don't know what Dozier's salary is off the top of my head, maybe they'd be willing to take that on, and as a result, uh, perhaps the Twins wouldn't be asking for as much, but, uh, you know, I think the other factor here is, you know, the Red Sox went out and I think took a flyer on Brandon Phillips, they signed him to a minor league deal, I think they're looking at him, I, I kind of know where you were going with the Dozier thing, because let's let's be realistic, Dustin Pedroia, I'm not sure he's going to be back in any capacity this year, and in fact, I wonder, you know, if, we're, if we've seen the last of him as, as really an everyday player, 
player for good. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Dozier would certainly fill a void because Nunez has struggled. Holt's been kind of banged up, and he's, you know, he's Brock Holt. I mean, he is what he is. Dozier would be an upgrade over any of those guys. But I, I think the fact they went out and signed, uh, you know, uh, the locked-up Phillips there, I think he's sort of the insurance in the event that Pedroia doesn't come back and maybe Nunez, you know, just physically can't go. His knee flares up again or something. So I think that's who they're going to turn to. I you know, I just don't see, uh, you know, I mean, do you think Dozier's going to go to anybody uh, before the uh, trade deadline? Do you think he's definitely being moved? Yeah, he's an expiring contract. I know Milwaukee is absolutely interested in a guy like Dozier. Um, you know, the Red Sox have been discussed a little bit less just because, like you said, they, they have that depleted farm system. But in all honesty, now's the time to go for it, you know. Um, Dozier would be more of a luxury than anything else, that, which is why it gets me so excited. And he, he actually, over the last two years, has more home runs in the second half than any player in baseball. He has 49 over the last two years, which is insane. I think he had 28 in uh, 16 and 21 in 17. You know, he's gotten off to a rough start, but Minnesota's not going anywhere, and he's an expiring contract. So I think they'll take a flyer on Dozier. Um, Kyle Bearclaw from Miami is the guy they've been tied to, and they could use help in that, in that bullpen. Um, but as far as big names, from your original question, I got a little, a little off track when I thought of Brian Dozier. But Well, he's a big name. Yeah, no, and he, is a, yeah. he has been heating up lately at the plate. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could see Chris Archer going somewhere, um, you know, with Tampa kind of selling off now. Um, you know, maybe Cole Hamels, another expiring contract on a bad team, but, you know, this is a, it's a pitching-depleted market, and there's a really high demand for pitching. So I don't see the Mets doing anything getting rid of Syndergaard or DeGrom, so I would say Archer, Dozier, Hamels would be the three guys I would expect to get moved at the deadline. Yeah, you think the Yankees are going to be in in on either Hamels or uh, Archer? I would think between the two, I mean, they both pitched poorly so far this year. I I think Archer probably has a better chance of bouncing back, given that he's a bit younger. Yeah, I mean, the the interdivisional trades, the Rays have made it clear that they don't really care about them, sending Evaldi to the Red Sox. So I think that might encourage the Yankees a little bit. Um, It'll be interesting to see what they give up, because the Yankees still have this outstanding farm system, and they're still so early in their winning window. So I don't think they want to, you know, give up a real haul for anything. I think that's what's actually delayed the J.A. Hat trade that they've, um, they've been so interested in making. I don't really get why they're so enamored with J.A. Happ. I mean, he's a decent pitcher. He's 37 years old, I believe. He, he's okay. He's solid. But I think Archer would make a bigger difference going down the stretch. I think he just has better stuff. I think he's a better pitcher that the Yankees would be more interested in. Mm, that's interesting. I mean, Hap's put up some better numbers this year, but but you're right. As far as the overall upside, uh, Archer uh, has that going, uh, you know, big time over him. Uh, if I had to put you on the spot for an early World Series prediction, I mean, who, or who do you like coming? I, I kind of guessing you probably like the Red Sox out of the American League. Uh, who would you like coming out of the National League? Yeah, it's so hard not to pick the Red Sox coming out of the American League, to be honest with you just the way they've been playing. Nationally, Watch out for Houston, I mean, though. Everyone's not talking about them. So, defending champs. Yeah. Sorry, just say. I mean, didn't mean to cut you off. I just was Houston uh, will be on the – no, it's fine. I mean, Houston will be in the conversation. They're going to be there. They're going to look to add a reliever as well. Um, I, I just like the way Boston's been playing a little bit more. Um, I, so, I would say the Red Sox in the American League. The NL, it's really tight. Um I, I, I think it's tough and a little too early for me to go and say that the Phillies or Braves will end up being there. So, you know, the, I mean, the Dodgers got Machado. They still have a really solid lineup. 
Um, and Still Kershaw have a, is going to be at the front yeah. of the rotation. So yeah. I'll say the Dodgers and nationally, they'll be back in it. Yeah, I mean, you think Machado's going to uh, help them a lot here? Uh, switching leagues isn't going to be a big deal for him? No, I, I mean, he, he's been in the American League East. You know, that's the toughest division in baseball. Um, you know, I, I, I think he'll be okay. Um, you know, he's back at third base, which I think is good for him. And, you know, he's a better third baseman than he is a shortstop. I mean, he's the worst defensive shortstop in baseball this But doesn't year. he prefer playing so, shortstop? No, but doesn't he def- uh, prefer to play shortstop? Yeah, he, I mean, he would prefer to play shortstop, but, you know, with Turner out now, it makes sense for him to, to play third base. He'll be back at short when Turner comes back, but... Well, who's playing short right now? Because Seager's yeah. out for the year. Who's who's over at short? Chris Taylor, I believe, for the Dodgers. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, when he, he'll he go back into the outfield when Turner's healthy, and then he'll put Machado back at short, but... I mean, that lineup's really dynamic. You know, Machado, Turner, Bellinger, uh, Max Muncie has been outstanding for the Dodgers. And then, you know, when you have Kershaw and, you know, Rich Hill, who's a really another solid lefty um, in that rotation, I, I like the, the Dodgers coming out of the NL. Yeah, well, it's hard not to. I mean, they are the defending NL champs, and certainly, uh, you know, you add Machado to the mix, they, they should be even better on paper. Uh, uh, let's change gears here a little here. I didn't get to ask you this before we went on the air, so I guess I'll ask you now. Obviously, you're a big Red Sox fan. Do you like any of the other Boston teams, or is, is it just more of a... Because, I mean, I understand your, your Red Sox story and how you became a fan of theirs would lead me to believe you probably root New York for all the other sports. Am I right, wrong? What? Uh... Yeah, you're right. So I go, oh, okay. I go Giants, Rangers, Knicks, okay. um, which is actually funny because one of the first guys I met at FUV and one of my, my good friends, uh, his name's Corey Miller. He's from Winchester, Massachusetts. And I met him, and he was like, oh, so, so what are your teams? And I go, Red Sox, Giants, Knicks, Rangers. He goes, oh, yeah? I'm the exact opposite. So he's from Massachusetts, and he's Yankees, Patriots, Bruins, Celtics. Wow. Um, <laughs> of having a really nice uh, relationship. Just if you're able to understand each other, you know, just as far as our, our baseball passion goes. And did he have a similar story how Nomar snubbed him when he was like seven years old? Uh, I, think his, I think his dad was from New York or something like that. <laughs> oh, okay. He had, the, he had the traditional story. And wow. then his mom got him in the other three sports. Okay. Well, uh, all right. So, well, okay. I was going to talk a little football here for a minute. I was actually going to talk about, you know, uh, you know, training camp opens for the Patriots tomorrow. Bill Belichick addressed the media today. Uh, not to mention that earlier this week there were a couple big articles out about uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, who apparently is the new it of the NFL. I don't know if you would agree with that, uh, but he certainly. Uh, well, I don't know that 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 sound you just made. That uh, maybe not. Uh, but let me. Uh, well, let me ask you. Well, in general, I guess you know, coming at this from a, a Giants perspective. Uh, well, first of all, let's talk about your team then, the Giants. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, do you think Eli Manning has anything left, or should should the Giants be moving in a different direction at that position? I mean, he still has two years left on his contract. For him, with the offensive weapons that he has, he's just got to be average. And I think he'll be able to do that. I think there's a lot more pressure off of him now that they went out and added Nate Solder from the Patriots, and then uh, they decided to take Saquon Barkley, which was some believed an ill-advised pick, but Dave Gettleman called him a touchdown maker. You know, he said, I don't care what position the guy plays. He's you know, the best talent I've seen in my 30 years doing this, and he's a touchdown maker. So he's going to help Eli a lot, you know, especially with his pass-catching ability. He's a really dynamic player. So, I mean, you know, but at the same time, you don't, you don't entirely know what you're going to get out of Eli. So 
I think they're a real question mark, the Giants. You know, I wouldn't be shocked if they went 12-4, and four, but at the same time, I wouldn't be shocked if they went 4-12 and 12 or 3-13 and 13 again. Um, you know, so I really have no idea what to expect out of this Giants team coming into the season. I'll play it safe and say they go 8-8 eight and eight just because they have a tough schedule. But, you know, I, I really don't know what to expect. We'll see when the preseason rolls around and see what, what, they, what they've got. Well, NFC East is certainly a tough division. You've got the, uh, you know, the, the reigning Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles there, and, uh, and they get their starting quarterback uh, back as well. Uh, so, you know, Dallas is usually always, uh, you know, is going to be pretty tough and, uh, you know, Maybe even the Redskins. That's a tough division. So I, I think yeah. you know. I think maybe eight and eight for the Giants wouldn't be you know given all things considered. What are your thoughts on Odell Beckham Jr. as a Giants fan? I mean, you know, I think to some of us who are not Giants fans, he's kind of a bit of a diva, and you don't, you know, he kind of reminds you that kind of singular great receiver who, if you look at Super Bowl champs over the last you know ten fifteen years, you know, none of them really seem to have that kind of like you know top number one, you know, maybe top three receiver in the league kind of guy. I mean, th- those teams have good wide receivers, but not not someone of a, of a Beckham caliber necessarily. Yeah, he's definitely a diva. I mean, that's, that's you know, a spot-on word to, to describe him. Um, but his talent is so undeniable. Um, you know, if you have a better quarterback, maybe I'd say you don't need him. But, you know, this team is and this offense is kind of, revolved around him in a way you know without him I don't know where this team is um and you saw it last year when they they were so bad after he went down um I I think that they're going to extend him I think they're going to hold on to him just for the fact that he's one of the faces of the league and it's always good to have a guy like that regardless of his off-field situations and off-field antics I mean you know, you can say what you will about what he does, but this isn't a guy that's getting DUIs. You know, this isn't a guy that's going out and getting arrested or getting in trouble um, at nightclubs or anything like that. So while he is a headache, he's staying out of trouble. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll definitely uh, I'll give you that. And, of course, uh, just so uh, to, to continue with the football metaphor, so I'm not dropping the ball here, let's let's go circle back to the uh, the Jimmy Garoppolo uh, stories that a uh, couple big ones uh, out on uh, Bleacher Report and uh, Sports Illustrated this week uh, about Garoppolo and how he's already sort of been anointed as the next great quarterback. Uh, I mean, they've, they've put up uh, in one of those two stories it was mentioned, you know, they've got the, the Montana banner at, uh, at the uh, 49ers. There's a stadium that says uh, what uh, faithful then and you know now faith faithful now is is Garoppolo and you know after signing the big contract now he is uh, facing all that pressure because there was a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on which maybe as a Giants fan you maybe were kind of either chuckling about or or uh, whatever that you know uh, how maybe Bill Belichick didn't uh, you know uh, wait for the the biggest offer he just wanted to set up uh, Garoppolo his guy who he really liked and wanted to you know, perhaps try to keep uh, with the Patriots, and he just set him up in the best environment possible, and so he he took less and traded him to the Niners. If you you know if you you know believe everything that's in these uh, stories, uh, what what are your thoughts on on Jimmy Garoppolo in general? I mean, obviously he won the five games at the end of last year, then he signs the big contract. You know, now everyone's expecting great things from him. Uh, you know, is uh, is Belichick going to be proven correct that uh, Garoppolo is uh, the next great quarterback and the Patriots could have had him and, you know, had him follow right after Brady? 
Yeah, I, I remember that day. Twitter almost exploded when Garoppolo <laughs> was traded from the Pats to the 49ers. Just well, I, w- I was shocked. Yeah, I was shocked as hell about it. it. The timing just seemed so odd. It, it, but anyway, uh, so... It's a very uh, un Belichickian thing to do, in mm, a way. Um, right. It almost seemed like. But, you know, like you said, that was his guy. You know, he really liked Garoppolo. He wanted to have him around. And, you know, it's it's very different from the Rodgers the Rogers Favre situation. But... You know, you had you had that quote come out the other day where Garoppolo said there were days where I was just like, I'm better than that dude. Um, and I thought that I was really surprised to see that come out, especially under a year after they were teammates. You know, so I, I'm not a full believer in Garoppolo just yet. I mean, he's talented, but I don't know. I I got to see a little bit more. You know, he's won these games, but. He hasn't had any of these games where I've been like, wow, you know, this guy's this guy's elite. You know, he's had had maybe seven touchdowns, five interceptions in these in these uh, seven games that he's played, where he's won all of them. So I'm not blown away by Garoppolo. I didn't hate the move that Belichick made, you know, cutting ties with with Garoppolo and putting him in the right situation. But yeah, I'm not totally on the Jimmy G train. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of been with you too. I mean, we only saw, you know, really a game and a half of him in, in, you know, six quarters of meaningful play with the Patriots. And, you know, I wasn't ready to, you know, anoint him the next great one either. I mean, I know he's, you know, if you, you know, these articles that came out this week mentioned how much he tried to, you know, emulate Brady and, you know, everything down to, you know, just he watched all his mannerisms, watched the, you know, all his mechanics and everything. And, and then also, you know, even trying to like talk like him to it to some level. Uh, but you know, and that's great. I mean, you know, certainly you you could have a worse uh, you know someone to to look up to or to have as your uh, your teammate for for three and a half seasons than uh, than Tom Brady. I guess my my whole take on this, and you know, and and I I hope it's just a coincidence of events in in Tom Brady's life. But it is kind of disappointing to me that you know if. Perhaps the the Patriot. Well, you know, maybe you can say this about a lot of athletes, no matter how great they are. But you know, if you kind of buy into the whole story here, you know, uh, Belichick drafts Garoppolo, thinking he might be the heir apparent because he looks. I mean, you know, Brady at this point is going on about six or seven seasons without winning a Super Bowl, and then all of a sudden, you know, Garoppolo's there, and Brady's starting to feel a little more threatened than he did with some of the other backups that had been in town, and so he plays that much harder, busts his ass. The Patriots win a couple more Super Bowls and nearly win, you know, almost nearly duplicate the three and four years that they had done a, a decade earlier, uh, and. You know, now, you know, or it seemed to almost happen right after, um, you know, uh, Garoppolo was traded. All of a sudden, Brady doesn't seem to have that same kind of fire. And, I mean, I kind of get it. He's, you know, he's about to turn 41. And, you know, he's, you know, he's got other priorities in his life. His kids are growing up. He wants to spend more time with them. I, I you know, I kind of get all that. Although, you know, everything we've learned from Brady his whole life is he's just been this guy who just loves football. And the fact he keeps talking to supermodel wife into saying, oh, I want to keep playing. You know, I, I, I need football. I still like to play football. I mean, she's wanted him to retire for like five years now. But uh, he still hangs on. But now it, it, it kind of feels like, well... He's, you know, is he not working as hard, or he skips all the OTAs? I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of torn on it, and 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 I'm one of those who wanted wants Brady to finish his career as a Patriot. So in that regard, I guess you know it wasn't going to work keeping them both. It would have been nice, or maybe if they had won this past Super Bowl, maybe Brady would have retired. I don't, you know, gone out on top. 
it didn't happen that way, you know, but whatever. I mean, I, I don't know. I think there was a question in here somewhere, David. I don't know. What are your <laughs> what are your thoughts? Maybe I was just giving it an opinion, but uh, feel free no, to chime in. I mean, in. <laughs> as far as Brady not working as hard, I don't know if I buy into that entirely. You know, it, it, he's going to get to the point where he's not able to do it anymore, but I don't really know when that point's going to be, you know. He's the best quarterback in football. He's the best quarterback in football right a now. A forty-year-old, you know, right? He's Aaron a forty-year-old MVP. The best arm. Right. He's the most talented, but Brady is still the best quarterback, and he's able to get the job done. So, you know, I, I don't know if I really entirely saw the point in keeping Garoppolo around for so long. If you were going to have to extend him, and what kind of contract would you give a guy that, you know, and, and you know, and going back on that, I mean, they weren't going to be able to keep him. You know, if they were going to have Brady continue to be the starter they weren't going to be able to keep him on a really high salary as a backup quarterback. You know, he was going to get paid regardless of whether or not he won those games for San Francisco. So it wasn't going to be possible for them to really hang on to him the same way they've been able to. So, you know, Brady, if I was a Patriots fan, I'd still believe in him. Um, I still see the Patriots going back probably at least to the AFC Championship. You know, that's the way it's been for the last bunch of years. And as we see all these teams around, the Patriots decline, like the Steelers. I mean, after Peyton Manning left the Colts, they've been in shambles. And the Patriots just still continue to get almost better and better and better as the years go on. So if I were a Patriots fan, I wouldn't be too concerned. I don't think, I don't think you guys are, but I'd still have a lot of trust in Brady. Yeah, I mean, generally I do too. I didn't want you to take my my little uh, my yeah. diatribe there as uh, be <laughs> be wanting to slam him or anything. I just you know it's like I say, all these things seem to happen, and maybe part of it too was right after uh, Garoppolo got sent out of town. Belichick turned to Brady and said, "You can't have Alex Guerrero uh, hanging out with the uh, the team at the facility anymore." And so I mean, as I say, there's a confluence of different events that where maybe Brady has reacted a certain way, or has maybe changed his priorities, or what have you, I don't know, uh, whatever, uh, you know, the interesting thing would have been had, uh, the, you know, you know, I don't necessarily buy the Kraft went to Belichick last season and said, you have to move Garoppolo right now, you know, at the trade deadline last year. Like what if they'd kept what, I mean, what if they, you know, what if Brady had gotten hurt of the second half of the season and then you would have maybe needed Garoppolo, you could have waited till Garoppolo, uh, you know, right now. I mean, couldn't they, they could have tried to maybe work some kind of, you know, they could have franchise tagged him and then traded him. They did that with Matt Castle, and they were able to get, you know, a little bit more in return uh, than they wound up getting for Garoppolo. I don't know. It just feels, I mean, if Garoppolo does turn out to be really great, it would have been, it's a shame to think they only got a second round pick for him, which oddly enough, I think Belichick turned around at the draft and then dealt that pick for three more picks as if to, like, as if to say, we're going to keep this going. Like, no, 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 we're not just taking this one guy. And if he bombs out, you're going to come back and say, you know, well, you traded Garoppolo for a bum? No. No, we're going to trade him for three more guys, and then they're going to begat a bunch of other picks, and it's going to get so spread. You're not going to know at the end what the actual uh, value was uh, for Garoppolo. I, I think, you know, that's that's sort of Belichick's way of uh, being cryptic, much as he was today in the uh, press conference he had. I, I don't know if you happened to catch any of that or if that would have been something you were even interested in catching any of. Yeah, but the same with Belichick, too. He makes all these moves, even in-game, makes these moves where you're like, what is this guy doing? And then at the end, he looks like a genius. You almost wonder if he's pushing his luck a little bit. Um, well, he did, didn't he? Super Bowl uh, 52. He did. He did push his luck. He tried it with Malcolm Butler. It didn't work. They didn't win. Yeah. So, 
that's kind of, you know, and to a lot of fans, that's kind of where the luck ran out. Now, I'm of the camp that I am, you know, I don't think that they were guaranteed to win had Butler played the whole game. Butler, you know, at times, you know, got burnt, and, you know, part of that's his size and everything, and I think that might have been what Belichick was thinking. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm surprised Butler never got off the bench at all. Like, I mean, you know, as, as the Eagles kept running, piling up yards and yards, at some point, you know, Belichick should have said, well, okay, this isn't working, you know, let's go back to Malcolm. You know, he did play most of the snaps. I know he could get, you know, torched on a long pass or whatever it any time, but hey, you know we got to we got to do we got to try something different, and he did. And the fact he kind of left him there on the bench while while Philadelphia put up like 600 yards of offense was just with a backup quarterback. You know, yeah, so, yeah, that yeah. that probably got, <laughs> probably got your blood boiling a little bit. Yeah, it did. Well, it did. You know, you see, the thing is, blood boiling's a little strong because I think you know the fact I've seen them win five Super Bowls. It's not a case of like being greedy or, you know, I, I think the time I was really greedy and gluttonous. You know, speaking of you being a Giants fan, would have been you know Super Bowl forty two. Uh, you know, ten years earlier. You know, I wanted the nineteen and zero because right there, four Super Bowls, nineteen and zero. I win every sports argument ever. The end. I mean, that's it. I'm a Patriots fan, and you can't top me. I mean, you know, if you're a fan of another team, that's what I wanted. And I never saw that coming. And after the game, I felt like I got kicked right in the groin really, really hard. Uh, <laughs> that that one that one stuck with me for a while. This past year with Philly, that didn't stick with me as much. First of all, it wasn't a New York team so or a New Jersey team, if you want to be technical. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, so – and I was kind of a little happy for Philly. Uh, the owner – the team went to my school and you know uh, so I mean they're you know I you know, it's Philly you know we're kind of kindred spirits Boston Philly we we're, we're you know we're East Coast and you know uh, Philly loves the Eagles the way Boston loves the Red Sox I mean the 04 Red Sox and the the 2017 Eagles are kind of like the, the the two teams that broke through and you know and, and the way it happened and everything uh, so yeah I mean I, I didn't mind that as much. I mean, you know, at the same time, when Brady gets the ball with two minutes left and they're down by, you know, like three points, I'm going, well, he's going to march them down. They're going to win the game or they're five points or whatever at that point. Uh, and that didn't happen. And, you know, naturally, you know, I, I didn't, you know, the fumble was a surprise. And yeah, But, hey, yeah, yeah, I didn't, that one didn't hit me quite as hard. And, yeah, I'm kind of with you in general. I mean, the Patriots probably will find a way to get back to the AFC Championship game. But, you know, Brady isn't getting any younger. Uh, the, you know, their defense has still got some question marks and you know other teams have improved in the AFC and it'll just it'll be interesting to see if they can continue to stay because at, at some point they're gonna it's gonna run out here I mean you know Brady you know can't fight father time and you know it's and you know I don't know Brady Belichick how long do they each stay around a lot of a lot of talk around here that this is gonna be Belichick's last year in all likelihood and that was part of the rationale and keeping uh you know bringing Josh McDaniels back after he you know basically uh you know had uh, almost two feet out the door in Indianapolis yeah I mean he seems to be a successor and I'm a big fan of giving coaches a second chance like failed head coaches giving them a second chance because they learn from that first experience of getting fired and saying okay, where did this go wrong? You know, where can I change my, my, my game management style here, my clock management style here, you know, keeping the locker room tight in this way. So, you know, while McDaniels wasn't great with the Broncos, I, I think he's the right guy for the Patriots coming out of uh, Belichick there. You mean much like Bill Belichick got a second chance with the Patriots? Exactly, exactly. Hey, uh, I'll wrap this up, uh, David. Uh, you uh, mentioned you were a Knicks fan, so I'll kind of bring this in. I'll, I'll give. A, I'll put a Boston tie on this. 
do you think there's any chance Kyrie Irving's going to be a Nick next year? I mean, do you believe any of this kind of these rumblings that are out there that that Kyrie wants to go to New York after because uh, he's a free agent after this coming season? I mean, he's from Jersey, but I don't see it. You know, the Knicks are just a mess, and they'll continue to be that. You know, you kind of saw it with, uh, you know, when Porzingis skipped his exit meeting just out of frustration of of disorganization of the franchise. Um, you know, whenever Dolan's at, at owning the team, they're just not going to be successful. And I think when it comes down to it next summer, you're not going to see Kyrie with the Knicks. I could see him going back to Boston. You know, he's kind of – He's, he's, you don't really know what he's thinking. I mean, you always thought he was totally fine with Cleveland, you know, being the number two behind LeBron, and then he comes out of nowhere and says, I want out of here. So for him, I feel like he's kind of a wild card, but at the end of the day, I don't see him with the Knicks. Hmm. You know, the Knicks have been bad for a long time. What made you decide to stick with them? Like, you could have chosen the Nets. I mean, I guess they were playing in Brooklyn back when you were really little, but, uh, you know, still, uh, you know, I don't. I mean, I, I know they're the home team, but what uh, what drew you to becoming a Knicks fan? Uh, given, uh, like you said, they've just been such a joke for so long. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a Knicks fan. I'd say I'm more of an NBA fan than a Knicks fan of you know among anything else. But um, you know, I, I just kind of stuck with it. You know, MSG is like a 30 minute train ride away for me, as opposed to going to Jersey or now going to Brooklyn. So. You know, they were kind of the closer team. They were the team I, I watched more. So, you know, I just kind of enjoyed watching the Knicks a little bit more than that, so I stuck with them. You know what they say, though, David? Too much MSG is really bad for you. Yeah, I, I, I can believe that. I, can, I definitely believe that. <laughs> you know I'm talking about the other MSG, right? Although I suppose the TV uh, network, too, could also be not so good. Yeah, I, uh, I, I've actually heard that's a conspiracy that MSG is bad for you. I don't know. I haven't read into that at all, to be honest. Yeah, no, it's not going to stop me from ordering a uh, good uh, low main or whatever. All right. Uh, well, listen, I, I actually, we've gone well over what I uh, said we were going to do, but I appreciate you uh, sticking around and uh, – uh, this has been fun. Maybe we can uh, do this again sometime. Yeah, I love it. Thanks so much, Todd. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I, I just want to mention uh, you can follow uh, David uh, on Twitter. His handle is at David Spampanato, and I'll spell that. That's uh, David, S-P-A-M, like, I don't like spam. P-I-N, like pin, put a pin in it, and A-T-O. I don't, that. For, for Otto. <laughs> but anyway, you can uh, find him. Uh, you can also find him, of course, on uh, WFUV.org. And uh, if you're down in the, the area, you can listen. What's the frequency down there on the, uh, the old-fashioned radios? Yeah, 90.7 FM. That's right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Well, good luck with your senior year and uh, with your, uh, like I say, with your future uh, aspirations. I know the career search is going to be going fast and furious during your senior year. But as I remember from my senior year of college, it goes fast. So don't forget to have fun with it. And, uh, you yeah, know, maybe we'll, we'll try this again sometime. Great. Thanks so much, Todd. Really uh, appreciate it. All right. Again, that's uh, that's David Spampanato from uh, Fordham University. And don't forget to uh, follow us, uh, the, uh, the Toddcast, here on social media by searching Time Out for Sports Talk on Facebook and on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at TOSTBMC to get links to the latest Toddcasts like this one that we just finished. Uh, as soon as the Toddcasts are available, I will uh, put the links out there on the Facebook and uh, Twitter pages for the show. Don't forget, you can also check out previous Time Out for Sports Talk TV shows on demand at belmontmedia.org our next tv show will be coming up sometime in august so uh, we uh, keep an eye out for that we'll uh, have announcements coming up on social media thank you once again to uh, david spampanato from uh, wfuv 
Fordham University Radio and the one-on-one sports show. Jeff, definitely check that out. Uh, it's a good listen. Uh, until next time, this is Todd Bloniers. I want to thank you for checking out the TOST Toddcast right here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network. 